and welcome to None of My Business. I'm Michael Jackett. This is a business podcast, but mainly it's about people and their business. It's driven by my own curiosity and passion for learning from every conversation. Daniel Pugh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jacko. Thanks for having me. Mate, um, straight off the bat, you're, you're, known, you're a man with many names. Talk to me yeah. about Dan Remy, Daniel Remy, Daniel Pugh, Daniel Roxanne, Dan Roxanne. What are we... What's the well, thinking behind that? Yeah, like as in, you know, Jacko, we've been friends for a while now, like 20 plus years, makes us sound really goddamn old. True. Um, you know me through my many aliases. Um, <laughs> you know, throughout school, like as in, it was always Daniel Pill. Um, and I still don't know how to say it. Like, it's like a French Cambodian name. And yeah. like as in, throughout school, known as Pui. And then I'm like, oh my God, as soon as I left high school, I was like, oh. Hmm, this is a really bizarre name. I'd never really kind of, even though um, I went to an amazing school and had some great friends, you kind of never really fit in because of different things. And then like... Well, it's also the high school, you know, boys school where just everyone's name becomes their abbreviated last name. That's correct. Yeah. And so so it was really weird. And then like, um, uh, as you know, like I had a business and there was a nightclub called Roxanne. And then I was like, hmm... What sounds better, Dan Pill or Dan Roxanne? Then I became known as Dan Roxanne, yeah. and that that was a lot more marketable, essentially. <laughs> um, um, and then it's a bit um, like Hollywood; they all change their name, don't they? When they do, mo- yeah. when they become movie stars, they just change it to something that sounds a bit better. Yeah, totally. I love that you compared me to a movie star because that's exactly- you're Hollywood. Yeah, I'm maybe Hollywood. I'll start calling you Hollywood. In fact, I got a nickname Hollywood at one of my places that I worked. It wasn't. Why don't? <laughs> I didn't. Why it don't wasn't you call my me choice. Collingwood. Call me Collingwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a slight version of Hollywood. Just Collingwood. Yeah, it's calling. You know, it's um. Yeah, it's Collingwood. Yeah, you know, I came from the Commission Flats. It's like it's yeah. so much more me now. I think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. It's got more ultimate, edge to it anyway. Yeah, the ultimate <laughs> rags to riches story. That's right. Hey, mate. <laughs> I was thinking the other day. Um, one of the earliest memories I have with you is when we were walking, it's probably not the earliest, but one of the walking to um, Rod Laver arena with you and your brother, Mark, and we were, we were walking there because we were, used to go and play tennis there. We used to. Yeah. Do you remember that? And we were walking there and then we'd go and play on one of the show courts and stuff. And yeah. it was just a random little thought that I had that is about a ra- that's- what we did. And then I started going, why were we playing there? And then I was like, Oh, the school must have organized just as a bit of an experience thing to go and play there. Or maybe it was just that there's so many courts there. You have anyway. such an incredible memory because I don't remember that. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the thing about memory though, man, is that, you know, my, my, the things that I remember are triggered to certain things and the things that you remember are triggered to certain things. So, you know, they generally don't necessarily line up. Do you want to hear about the earliest memory I have of you? Mm. Yeah, as long you as it's... Steve, you and Steve Rowley, year seven... You guys yeah. were playing with some like Diablo stick. Yeah, we were clowns. We were training to be clowns. Yeah. Uh, were you really? Yeah, yeah. We literally like the so the backstory to that is like that was just the Yoho Diablo was just what we did at Yo-ho lunchtime. Diablo. And and Giles loved it. And um, oh, but Steve and I we bought unicycles. He like we had all sorts of like clown stuff, like juggling, you know, battens and balls and all sorts of stuff. We had like a chest at Steve's house at his parents' house. Wow. And it was filled with like, like clown stuff. Cause we were going to, we we're going to do busking. And then we were like going to sign up to join these like circus schools. And we we're going to buy, I remember he and I going to this circus shop. It would have been somewhere around Fitzroy. I just can't remember exactly where it was. Yeah, wow. And we were going to buy a seven foot unicycle, but we we're going to sh- split the cost. It was like $700. And we're like, yeah, 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 but we're like, we'll make it back when we go busking. So we may as well like buy it now. Anyway, it, that, that idea fell over pretty quickly. I think, <laughs> I think we realized that 350 bucks to a 14 year old or a 13 year old kid is, is quite a bit back then. So I think it's so crazy. Like, is it because back then I was like, I think you guys were in a 7D or 7F. Or, I don't even know. I, no, was seven, like, I was 7B. I was like, who are these freaks? Like, as yeah. a, when I was young, like, <laughs> as a week, I was like, I said, who are these guys? Like, with these sticks? and like, Who are these even, clowns at school yeah, who are at lunchtime? <laughs> Literally. And then I was like, who are... And then, like, yeah. And it's only until later that I realised, oh, they're hippies. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I could have gone down that path. Um, yeah. Mate, thanks for joining me on the call. Um, this is something that I started, you know, late last year. And I was gonna, I was gonna push the start pushing the episodes out around, you know, March April. But then this thing called COVID nineteen happened. Um, oh, what is it? Yeah, it's this weird thing. That, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's in America. Um, and <laughs> they uh, anyway, so it, it sort of got delayed. But it's um, it was always intended to be a bit of an experiment, a bit of pushing myself to do something that, you know, I didn't know a lot about. Um, and you know, and here we are. So. No, okay, I, no, you I, know what I love about Jay and like is in this is I don't want to be one of these episodes or podcasts where we just blow smoke up each other's butt. Yeah. But I love the fact that ever since I've known you though, on a serious note, is that you've always loved trying new shit. Totally, like, yeah. Love you just putting yourself out there and like maybe it goes back to maybe that's my earliest learning review, like yeah, being Diablo clown whatever that whatever that thing is called, like <laughs> um Diablo clowns. And like it's like, oh cool, like as in and I I see like as in I think the reason why I think we've still maintained our friendship over these years is because I see myself doing those things too. Like, fuck it, let's just try it out and totally, see yeah. what works. And like the yeah. worst case that's going to happen is the fact that we bought $700 worth of unicycle stuff. Unicycle. <laughs> one unicycle that you have that you can't split in two because it's just one wheel. <laughs> um, yeah, man, like that's totally it. And, and um, you know, the experience thing, is a big one and and i think there's no better time than now like it's so under the microscope at the moment around what are we doing and why are we doing it and Mm. you know like it's hard to gain new experiences right now but you know fortunately zooms in our life and it means i can talk to people and learn a bit about their experiences and you know their perspectives and what they've learned and you know that's the idea so do you want to just give me so it is i mean you know it's a pretty loose format but it is yep. a business themed podcast, hence the name. Um, and do you want to just give me, uh, you know, you've had a pretty eclectic kind of work career life, you know, the sort of jobs you've done and, um, and do you want to just give me a bit of a, like a, how you would summarize the sort of the steps, you know, like around what yep. you've done from, you know, the only club, you know, anyway, you, you take it yeah, away. Yeah. Well, I think it all stems from like the fact that like, um, you know, uh, go back to the stomping grounds of our high school. And I never, ever felt like as in, I never, it was a great experience. I loved going to the high school that we went to, Mm. but there was a part of me that never felt that I belonged. And it's not because I'm brown Mm. and you're white. Mm. And like, (laughs) wait, this is, there's no video on this podcast, right? So they won't see me. But, but like, I was like this, like this kind of like, you know, like I said, I never thought I belonged and, um, you know, I, I, I didn't belong. Like I said, my parents and I, we lived in a commission flat and like a lot of people don't even know this. And now I'm talking about publicly on a podcast that is going to be put out. But the close friends around me knew like mm-hmm. my unconventional kind of like life into this really ridiculously super wealthy um, school that I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, like this is um, so I always felt out of place, but I was never ever ostracized through anyone. Like I always felt like I belonged with yeah. my friendship, but mm-hmm. um, no one ever made me feel like it. So there was like this already this kind of like fire and this desire to constantly like try new shit or mm. like as attempt. Did you feel like, like you had to prove yourself or anything? Um, not prove myself to an extent of because I had a overbearing. No, now I think that I do have an overbearing father, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I think every Asian boy has yeah. an overbearing father. And yeah, yeah it's like, just, it's part of yeah. yeah, it's like, it's the brown curse. Mm. Um, and so I think maybe a little bit prove myself, like as in, but also like from a materialistic perspective, like as in, I always kind of like went to friends' houses or like, you know, mm. saw like friends have like amazing materialistic things. I was like, oh, how come I don't have that? How come I can't get in that? And I was like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really painting a grim picture of my parents now, but they gave us everything um, except the materialistic things, but they gave us, we had everything. Yeah, what like, you need. Yeah. Like Maslow's hierarchy needs, right? And then so like I left, uh, school just wasn't for me. Like it just wasn't my style of delivery. I just couldn't like, I, I couldn't study. Yeah. Um, and then after I realized in my 20s, I was like, oh, I've actually got mild dyslexia. And like, um, mm. I can't really read properly, and I can't. And it's like, oh, but I, it never got picked up 
during school. And I was like, oh, okay, mm. this is it. So I left um, thinking that, you know, we were drilled to this kind of thinking that if you get a horrible TDR score, mm. um, you're going to fail at life. And Life's I literally, done. <laughs> life is done, dude. Life is <laughs> fucking done. And yeah. my parents were so like disappointed, essentially. Like they put all their money into my, my education, my brother's education. And like, mm. It didn't yield results. Let's be completely honest. But man, how much <laughs> when you get older, do you realize you understand that you go, man, they were particularly in your situation. We, the, the, the situation, the environment you just explained where, you know, like putting you and your brother through private school at the fees that, you know, even back then at the fees that it costs, like, man, it's a lot of expectation on the kid's shoulders but they probably don't understand in the moment, but that's going to come through in the way that you talk to them and the way and the, and the disappointment potentially when they don't have to get the results or they don't, you know, achieve or, you know, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to call putting that on the, it's, it's an interesting family dynamic that I think about now that I would, that I think about, you know, would I put my kids through private school, you know, yeah. for that kind wow. of money? Yeah. Wow. It's um, so true. Like, as in, I think now, like, as in, holy shit, like, there was a lot of expectation for me and like it was from a like literally paycheck to paycheck and and it's a cultural thing too like the fact that like my parents are like this money is going towards you i'm like fuck that is so much fucking pressure and and it came out in different ways and like other ways and then but it also kind of gave me this kind of like crazy burning desire to kind of like just do more you know and um yeah and then yeah, I left high school thinking that I was like a huge failure, failure, and like and then um, you know because I got like this horrible T article. My parents were like, holy shit, Dan, like this is really bad. And I was like, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> playing what? too much tennis with Jacko and on the Yoho yeah. Diablo, and like as it, <laughs> <laughs> and learning how to skate, and yeah. like not, I still don't have to skate. Mm. Um, and then yeah so I left and I was just like I had like what am I going to do with my life so I tried to do what my parents um, wanted me to do which was like get into finance <laughs> and like as in get a bit now from their perspective they didn't, at this point in time they didn't realize I was kind of mildly dyslexic so yeah this is the worst kind of thing to go into though I did banking and finance at RIT yeah and that just didn't work out yeah. for me yeah. like I was like what is this? Um, yeah. And then I, so I dropped out and then I just got a job at Boost Juice. Great. Um, if people still know it. That's where all the good careers start, mate. Yep. <laughs> and then I was even in the ad. I was actually on the ad for Boost. PK and I actually were. Okay. Um, and yeah. And then I'll have to I'll use like, that as the promo for this, this podcast. Can you get a photo of that for me? I will try. I will try. Right. I, right. I don't even feel about it. From Boost Juice to being a nightclub owner, you could do it too. <laughs> Um, and, and then, um, if you, I, I if you went from boost juice to running a gym, you could still say, and still selling juice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the gym. Yeah. Juice. Anyway. So yeah. So you went from boost and then what, what are you thinking from boost juice? Where, where's your career going at that Then point? I went to Brighton Bay and decided to do art school. Like I'm yeah. going to follow my passion because I'm going to do like something that I want to do. Then I realized after like three months, I was like, wow, this is definitely not what I want to do. I love it as a creative outlet, but I had this thing in the back of my head going, how the fuck are you going to make money out of this? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was like, all right, well, back to fucking square one. So (laughs) dropped out again. And then I decided to do marketing and that's when it started clicking. I was like, okay, these are my people. Like as in, Mm -hmm. so I realized that, these are the people that I, um, but it wasn't enough for me. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to now segue into entrepreneurship at RIT. Mm. And that's when I found my tribe essentially. And mm. it was just like this kind of like a hundred students of like crazy people mm. that were me, that were a little bit left of center. Interesting. Had- like, what are we, what year are we talking there? 2005. Like then, like we're talking 15 years ago, entrepreneurship didn't have the same meaning as it does today. It didn't, it didn't have the same buzz about it as it does today. So it's an interesting course to... Let me put this in context. Twitter came out in 2006. There you go. So it's an interesting course. It would have attracted some interesting people doing a, an entrepreneurship course at RMIT 
you know, like what, like you would have had heaps of random people in there going, well, I don't know what it is and, you know, but I don't have any other option or I don't have any other thing I want to do. Yeah. The only people yeah, right. that dropped out. Yeah. So it was like this crazy thing. So I finally found my tribe of like just the weirdest, just misfits that kind of like, yeah. And as I was like saying before, Twitter came out in 2006. So back yeah. then, you know, what we have right now is, you know, like the venture capital scene, um, venture capitalists, um, um, scene like the tech scene it's so fucking healthy right now whereas back yeah. then like if you wanted to build a business you go to the bank yeah um, so totally. it was like this yeah it was like as an oh you go to your wealthy parents which uh, at that point in time yeah, yeah. i did have <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah go and put a business proposal to the bank um yeah yeah okay so you went so you've done entrepreneurship at yarmit then when did you then what's next what did you do next so then I, um, the, there was always like this, there's a, I have a chip on my shoulder that I come, I think you guys are starting to realize that it's constantly like, I realized that, um, I, I was like, hold on a minute. Like you can't be taught out of me. Like halfway through the course, I was like, Hmm, even though I found my people, like you can't really be taught how to be an entrepreneur. You like you either have it or you don't. Yeah. And then the great thing is it would have kind of like sparked all this crap. And I met my future business partner there, yeah. Alex, and then we were building like this thing, essentially, if you, we had to describe it in modern day terms, it was like the broadsheet yeah. back then because we noticed there was a gap. There was like, there's a few players coming out, but they were just so niche. And then we're like, let's build a platform that has all this stuff that, you know, has openings and all that other crap. And yeah. then um, we dropped out. <laughs> we dropped out of high school, uh, out of um, out of university again. Yeah. And then I was like, and then we, we were looking for this place to launch, um, our magazine slash kind of media platform and then mm. we found run down empty club and it was like this serendipitous moment where we met the owner of the club and it had been run down and not been used for the last 10 years and then we picked to him like as in we go this is what we want to do we, we want to kind of like actually build it oh actually i gotta go back a second. so we we looked for the launch of the place and we we're like he goes okay cool i can give you this space for x amount of dollars and then we're like well this place doesn't even have running water it doesn't even have paint on it like <laughs> Like, how, like for us to kind of like get it to a point where we uh, we did the math. I was like, oh my god, we might as well just like buy the place. Yeah. And the, the, what was valuable to that site was the fact that it had a twenty-two hour liquor license, which to this day, well, not during COVID, but yeah. <laughs> to yeah. this day, is very valuable. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're like, let's picture team, let's buy into the club. And at that point in time, I went to my parents who had just finally put some money aside to you know put a deposit on a house. Yeah, and they were like, "What are you fucking kidding? You've dropped out of uni three times. <laughs> now you want to kind of buy a nightclub? Like, what the fuck do you know about nightclubs?" And that's what my like my dad didn't say like that, but he goes, yeah, yeah. "What the?" Hell? And I go, "I go to a lot of clubs. Like, I know people." <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they right. just kind of like, you know, they were like, "Okay," they, but they saw the business plan, my business plan, and I put together everything. Yeah. We luckily we you know it worked. Yeah, because I paid back and then we sold out of that business and then um i you know i took a kind of a bit of sabbatical because i'm not too sure if you, like as in I, it completely destroyed oh man um, like my health yeah yeah totally. <laughs> I in my early 20s yeah and the energy that goes into that you know like it's a lot so yeah all right so you took a bit of time off um yep. and were you thinking about your next move and were you sort of saying, all right, this is where I want to start to focus. Cause you've still got, you know, the same themes are running through there. You've got that entrepreneurial kind of spark. You've got the owning ownership of a business and running a business. Um, you know, are you sort yeah. of going, I think I need to start another business or are you saying I want to go and work in a, a business that someone else has already started? What are you thinking yeah. while you're taking that time off? Well, um, so there's two pathways. As soon as we got out of the club, my business partner Alex took a ten-year holiday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just went holidaying around the world, and we, we went through two completely different paths. Yeah. I'm still close with him right now, um, and he went on a ten-year holiday, and I was like, "Oh, okay, what's next?" And then um, I decided to kind of like, as in, take a bit of a break, but also kind of like actually work for someone else for yeah. a bit and understand what it was like to work for someone else because this was my first job owning a mm -hmm. business and like there was a lot of lessons I learned. There was a lot of things I did wrong. There was a lot of things I did really, really well. But what I took away from that experience was like, I learned how to back myself. I was like, okay, 
I can fucking do it, you know. Like, yeah. as in, I don't need to kind of go down the traditional path of doing this and that. And like, my parents mm. are still grinding to me, it's like, Dan, you need to go get a degree. I'm like, fuck the degree. Look what I just did. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. then, <laughs> degree. I'm past that. I'm past that. Yeah. Um, like, it's it makes me think though that you know, like that for that even that time. Well, I suppose you're sort of coming into the time where people at a young age, their first job is the business that they start, you know, like how many times, how often do you see that now where some, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old has started an online business. And then before you know it, you know, look, look at Gymshark, they've just had a billion pound valuation. Um, and and they're young. Bitcoin. And they're what? And then they buy Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so it's like, you know, like it's that story is becoming more and more common where these young people, because of the tools that we have available to us are starting businesses. And then if they get the right people around them and they get the right momentum and they just focus on what they're good at, they grow these businesses. And then all of a sudden they're massive companies. Yeah. And Um, the thing that got told to me when I was that age and like, it was, it's like kind of like my mantra now for my whole life. Like, it was, I met this really amazing guy and um, <laughs> it was true entrepreneurship. And like, as in, he was literally selling canned air to China <laughs> and he was one of our guest speakers and he came into the, and I was like, I want to be that guy. I can't remember his name. I didn't know. And, I remember, um, I remember hearing about him. Oh, yeah, this guy was incredible. And he came in as a lecturer and I literally kind of zoomed in with and I just kind of got his number and everything. And then there was a club back then that was opening and I was like, I, I, this is where I kind of like, as in, I, I back myself, I constantly pitch to people all the time. I don't know when, it doesn't matter mm. where or when. And I remember I got his number, called him, and I said, hey, it's, <laughs> it's Dan, you met me, you came into this course at RIT. <laughs> yeah. And like, as in, I've got an idea. I go, okay, okay, Dan, like, as in, how'd you get my number? I was like, anyway, like, as in, I got this idea, right? I go, I've got a friend who's opening a club, like, as in, and, you know, it's a pretty exclusive club. Like, as in, how about we put your camp? canister air in there it's pretty cool and he goes dad it's a great idea however but you know look at the volume i might sell three of them a year there because mm. they're 200 a can or i can ship a shipping container to um china. Uh, china and um he goes and then we had a good chat he goes he left me with this he goes, Dan, you seem like a really really good kid blah, blah. i'm just gonna leave you this he goes the, the art of business is the ability to put people together just yeah. just learn that and you'll be fine and as soon as i kind of like that there was this moment it's like this lightning rod mode that just kind of sparked in my head I was like mm. holy shit i'm never going to be a builder i'm never going to i don't know i can hardly read yeah. i can like literally um i can't pay like well i i can't like you know i can't code yeah, so I was yeah. like, i'm gonna really live my life along that theory mm. so just be the conduit between all those things that you know yeah and take, and take the take the cash um yeah that's great i love that that's a really, that's a really good thing. Um, okay, so, so, so what is so where where are you? What was your first gig into the you know reentry into the corporate world? Um, so I decided to go work at a friend's advertising agency, and he was like, "Okay, Dan, um, <laughs> this is a reality check," and so <laughs> yeah. it was in Paran somewhere, and then he goes. Okay, cool. This is the um, the yellow pages, no, the white pages. And he goes, "You need to cold call all these people because you need to drum up business." I was like, "What? This yeah. is fucked up." Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> and he goes, "We need you're going to be the sales guy. This is your base salary, and I guess you need to bring in leads." This is way before like you know Google Analytics and shit. And LinkedIn. Yeah, and he goes, and I did it for like six months like cold calling and i was like you know i had to kind of like put my ego aside because i just come from being a club owner mm. and but it was an amazing lesson because i was like well i learned how to sell on the phone and literally getting hung like hung up on was the best lesson and teacher i could yeah. have because you literally had 30 seconds not even like i would say 10 seconds yeah before someone just hangs up and, and it was a huge ego bruiser but I, it was totally. an amazing experience so i worked for him and then i was like okay i don't really want to do this i got what i needed to get out of this and then i worked for a hospitality group which i can't really say that oh, i can fuck it it owns like it used to own like revolver cookie oh, yeah. top and that, that whole group and then yeah i 
kind of took it there, took care of their marketing and like as in social media and that type of stuff. And that's yeah. what I was like, okay, oh, yeah, cool. Well, I like that. It's part of my network. That's part of my kind of thing. Um, and then at that point in time, my business partner came back into Australia and he was like, hey, we've got this huge database from the club. Like we can't, like let's, let's not discount that. I go, yeah, that's true. We still have the huge network from it. So um, we decided to like, and that, at that point in time, I was kind of overworking for someone else. And then mm. I was like, let's put some capital aside and put, um, import all these vintage clothing mm. and utilize the, and which we, we built a brand called um, Retro Market. And we had like markets four or five times a year. And then just the problem though, was the fact that this is where I didn't really kind of like, you know, it, it, um, I, I didn't map it out properly enough because I ended up just bringing shipping containers, like shipping containers of like vintage clothing from everywhere. And I had a price system of twenty dollars, fifteen dollars, and yeah. But what happened was I flooded my own market, yeah. Because and then I destroyed my own business because <laughs> I just bought in too much stock. Yeah, and then, too much stock. Oh, I was way too much stock, and the barrier to entry that 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 scene yeah. was just so low because like someone could just go and get a Camwell, um, Camwell store and do it themselves. And yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that was a nice little thing, nice little earner for a bit. And then we're like, okay, let's shut it down. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That retro market though is coming back in a big way. Like the big, like the big, you know, retail chains are having to start to look at, you know, it's more around the ethical, ethical no. angle and the sustainability angle. But, you know, the second hand, you know, buying second hand goods, you know, like yeah. it's, that promotes better quality. So you know, well, like, I've got a good contact if you want to start a business together, Michael. Yeah, all right. No, no. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So, you, um, okay. So, when, when, so, at what point did you get into this sort of entrepreneurial tech space? Okay. So, there was a few handful of businesses um, in between there and then that I built and sold. And yeah. then I, then I could, then this is where it's like, as in what I'm really like, as in when I had a, a cafe and a catering um, company on Gertrude Street, mm. the problem that I was hitting was the fact that. Um, for people that don't know, like as in the margins in the hospitality are so like, I went from nightclubs, which the margins were insanely fat mm, yeah. to, <laughs> to food, yeah. which was very, very slim. Like I'm talking cents sometimes. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow, hospitality is really, e-. I went from this high, hospitality is so easy. Yeah. And I went to like hospitality is fucking hard. Hospitality without alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, hospitality <laughs> without alcohol. And then I was like, okay, so I was hitting a problem there and then I was like, I was finding staff. So what I did, was, which was like um, build a kind of like a Facebook community called Melbourne Hospo that has approximately, that's still very active now and it has over 5,000 members. Mm. Um, that's when, um, when I was selling the business, um, there was a, now a friend of mine and he was the CEO. He is the CEO of Weepo, which is a, um, uh, recruitment software um, um, company and yeah. he reached out and said hey what you've done for um, Melbourne Hospital building that community we want you to do that for our platform mm. um, so you know once you've t- um, um, sold the company blah, 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 like do you want to come and meet everyone I was like oh yeah cool that sounds pretty cool um, mm. and then I was the second employee there and that was pretty awesome that was my um, essentially like my gateway into this incredible mm. like industry that because all the businesses I've built in the past were just not scalable they were bricks and mortar mm. old slow this old dog was just like um he didn't have a scalable mind and then I met this incredible team of people and then we uh, I built their community of like people that wanted to join the platform and everything mm. but then what happened was like as in what I always do is like I throw myself away to intent intensively if that's a word into project and i completely there was no segue from selling the business to working at the uh, at weepoy and then i completely burnt out there was a period where my life where like i couldn't get out of my bed now my girlfriend now my wife was like we need this cannot happen like like you are we need to do something about this like you're like you're not so talk so talk to me a little bit about weepoy so they because they're 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 reasonably big now. Like they, they are huge now. Yeah, and yeah, so you and like, you were in you were in their early days when you know they're obviously building out the business as you said. Hmm. Um, 
what's their what's their what's their yep. kind of point of difference? What do they do? So, like the the they've probably got a different way of describing that, but back then, like they were essential to Uber for jobs. So people yeah. would jump on on this platform. They post up a job. Back then, it was like everyone from labourers to hospitality to events. Now it's they've found their niche, which is offer support and yeah. um, short term kind of contracts which is in this current climate they're killing it so like mm. i remember the period back then like as when i was like literally telling the three founders who i'm close with i said guys i can't believe i'm about to leave this property ship because I, I, was, I was telling them i was like i'm probably the guy that is going to be the third owner of apple <laughs> who walked away for 900 bucks back in 1973 or whatever and that was and yeah, <laughs> and uh, like the rocket ship has completely sailed, and it's and it's yeah. killing it. So, yeah. but I had to do it for my health. Um, yeah. And um, then I like I got back, and then I, I was still a little bit burnt out, and then I got a um, I had to work, um, so I got a um, two day job as an entrepreneur in residence at a tech co working space called um, Inspire Nine, and oh, yeah. that was good. Like as in that was kind of like two days a week. Um, got me back into the space as my day-to-day was like literally talking to founders all day and hearing about how they run their business. And that mm. kind of sparked this incredible, like, I was like, oh, that's how people do it. And that's how, you know, that's how you raise money. That's how you mm. do this. That's how you kind of like, you know, um, build products and find a problem statement. So do you, when thinking about that time at WePoy, just before we go into your next thing you did, did you do you think about anything that you kind of learnt from that new that startup environment? You know, everyone's working hard. Clearly, other than being completely burnt out, what else did you kind of take away from that experience? <laughs> well, you know? yeah, like um, that. Oh, so many things. But the things that come to my head back then was that it was just um, build the right team early, mm. like like the right team early. Um, and kind of like find the problem statement and like as in back i, I don't know like as in, i would love to hear your thoughts on this michael like as in because back when i was younger like as in everyone was like dude if you've got the idea you're going to kill it but it's mm. no one cares about the solution it's about the problem if you find the problem yeah you'll find you'll make money and yeah. i used to kind of think of like oh man i've got this idea i've got this amazing idea fuck the idea like the idea is like as in um <laughs> the idea is so far away from the problem you find a problem that means there's a group of people that need something and then you kind of develop a prototype or a you know um a, a product or a service test it and then yeah. you kind of like go from there so now i've got this brand new mindset which i took from we was like is in find the problem find the the bottleneck because mm-hmm. that's when you find the the goal because yeah. what when you kind of go down the solution base, you kind of like what happens is like, as in you've got this solution because you're so tight, you, you this idea and you're so married to it. Mm. And then what happens and then you get it to market and then you're so emotionally attached to it at that point in time, then the hard sale comes in and then you're yeah. like, you're convincing yourself and others to buy it. And that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. You short circuit the process. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in, I've been banging on about, you know, the design process in pretty much every job I've ever had, you know, and, and that's, yeah. And that's exactly it. It's, you know, and now after, you know, knowing people who've gone through MBA courses and, you know, like design thinking is a fundamental part of any of these courses now, because you've got to understand that, you know, you don't want to jump to a solution too quickly before you've had time to, you know, understand problems, empathize with the community or the, or the customer or the, whoever that you're trying to help. Um, you know, empathy is the, is the starting point. So if you come at something with a solution before you've gone through that process of, you know, understanding, um, mm. then you're going to miss something. There's just, you know, you might get lucky, but nine times out of 10, you're going to miss something. Um, right. And it won't be as good as what it could be if you go through that design process, which is, yeah. you know, empathy and then prototyping and testing and then circling back to prototyping and testing. And then you get closer and closer to the solution. So that's you're great. You're an incredible service designer. Yeah. You yeah, would, yeah. Because that's all it is and it's just general stakeholder management but like literally convincing like not convincing but like explaining that process and it's so crazy that you're saying this because you're right like coming from your industrial background like mm. it's all 
design thinking, right? And yeah, totally. I moved from design, you know, like hardcore design and on the tools, so to speak, of design into, you know, more of a business management and sales role. Um, and but it's, but when I did that, I couldn't let go of the design stuff. And, and, and in fact, that's what sort of propped up everything that I did. It was going at coming at these essentially problem solving with this with this um, system in place that I'd learned through my career and through my you know education at uni and whatever and it got to a point where um, I pitched when I was sort of going for a senior role at one of the companies you know, a couple of companies ago and my whole pitch was around so it was a sales sales manager for this for the for the company and um, my whole pitch was around you know, if we if we implement a design thinking or a design process, un, like um, learning or un, understanding within the team, the broader team from, you know, we, we had designers and then we had salespeople, we had, you know, production people and you know finance. But if we if we implement and make sure that everyone understands this design process in each department, then we won't get these silos happening because everyone will be trying to achieve the same with the same process in mind so that so that language will will translate better than what it is now and it just kind of went over the head of the people that i was presenting to and it was the owner and the and the coo and the you know operations people and whatever and they just didn't quite and i was like you know what fuck it i this is what i truly believe and this is what i'm going to go hard on and i know that you know the other candidates for this role that were coming from outside the business they, they won't go this path because they'll go the more traditional, like this is what I know through my business and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, it just didn't stick with, it didn't gel. It didn't, it sort of went over the head, but you know, the more time that I spend in businesses, the more I'm just adamant and I, the more I know that that process and that design thinking is so fundamental to so it's so broadly to, it doesn't matter what business you're in. doesn't matter. And, 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 and it's becoming like, as in, you see like the good businesses are the ones that have survived, like not surviving, they're killing it. Like Apple implemented design thinking from day one, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And like, as in these, it's really bizarre now because like you see the ones who are like, who are going to die out soon because they're not willing to change and they're not willing to kind of adapt this new mindset. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's going to be a very interesting few years to be completely honest because mm. the tech industry have completely embraced it. And if you look now, obviously for obviously reasons, you know, like as in um, you know, the world's going through the biggest digital transformation right now. And mm. if you look at the stock market, what companies are killing it? Tech companies are fucking killing it. Zoom, mate. I bought one share so, of Zoom. This is hilarious. Oh my God. I bought one share of Zoom like, I don't know, 10 months ago, maybe a year ago. Just because I was interested in, sometimes I'll just buy one share just because I want to follow the company and then it'll yeah, sit, yeah, on yeah. My, sit on my list of trades. Yeah. And anyway, I bought it 60 bucks and now it's $295 oh today. But amazing. That's incredible. Well, I just wish I'd bought a hundred of them. Yeah, um, that's all right. So that's all right. What, um, what's your role now? Where are you and what's your role now? So I'm at an education company now, an education technology company called Academy XI. And my day-to-day is like it's called an outcomes purchase <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what that means i hopefully uh, um, uh, look long story short so uh, what that means is essentially like i'm the conduit and um internal recruiter for the people that finish up at our course um yeah so the reason why i laughed is because we've got a lot of terms in the tech industry that my friend Ange, she's a lawyer. She laughs at like some of the things I send because she's like, "Oh, are you gonna have an agile meeting today?" And like, what waterfall? I'm like, "Oh, what?" And, and it's like all these terms that are a bit wanky. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially, the crux of it is like, I I, I help the the students um, that come through our doors yeah. in a role by getting them job ready mm. um, and supporting them through their uh, and connecting with people that I've um, uh, made you know connections and relationships with and yeah, yeah it's, it's really great I guess. So, so what does academies i focus their learning structure on like what do they do they have a sweet spot around particular kinds of you know course stru- courses or you know subjects yeah. or industries yeah so they focus on future proofing their students so anything that's tech related so 
um, our biggest um, portfolio of courses are human-centered design, so service design, UX mm. design, UI, digital marketing. So anything that um, is kind of like as in built um, to kind of like future-proof your career, that's what we specialize in. There's a range of like part-time courses and full-time courses. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting space to be in right now because everyone is trying to now due to COVID, everyone's trying to future-proof their career essentially. Totally. Um, so what are the pathways that you see for the majority, you know, the average student, what are the pathways that get them to academies? Are like, what, what have they done? Where have they come from? Yeah. Um, I would say like 60% of students that come through um, are completely brand new to the industry. They've come from completely varied backgrounds and they're looking for something new to do yeah. or they've come from university and they realize that not to like uh, this is not to make any enemies with the university space because i do really i do believe in the way that they bring but mm. you know then they, they, they need something more when yeah. they come to us they've you know they've done a four-year degree and yeah. uh, i remember like as in they've done a four-year degree i remember when um, someone was trying to teach a social media at university i was like no offense to this guy but he, he was clearly over 50 and mm. i was like well, how the hell is this guy going to teach us about myspace <laughs> yeah totally i well, i've talked about this a little bit on a couple of podcasts because most particularly with a guy nathan lutit who i went to uni with and he then went on to work within the uni system for you know almost a decade i think but oh, he wow. um you know and then this quote that i heard mark Burr say once which was you know university teaches you knowledge it doesn't teach you skills you know and that's a oh. real you know like it, it's a really that's a really important thing, you know, like to, to understand that what you're going, the outcome that you're going to get from university is knowledge, not necessarily skills. So what do you need to add to your experience in order to gain those skills, you know? Mm. And that's a, yeah, it's, you just literally, you should come work for us. You just, he <laughs> <laughs> literally just summed it up. Yeah. Um, so like, I like that, you know, like those, it's like those other years, you know, like Brighton Bay, you, you and I both did yeah. that. Um, you know, we, it's a, it's another year that just adds to your knowledge that you've already got. Um, you know, maybe it's a pivot away or, or a shift away from what you've always done into a completely yeah. new space. Um, yeah. like someone I worked with, who was a, you know, was an industrial designer, you know, he's just gone, he's just done a, part-time i wonder if it was with you guys a part-time yeah. ux course oh, cool. um, you know because he identified that he wanted to move away from you know what he was doing um mm. and he wanted to move into this ux space which was mm. you know it just for him it felt like the right move it's got a better future for him and kept yeah. him interesting it's got a bit more strategy to it and, mm. and whatever so yeah that's really interesting like the thing is like any like any if you are a company and you have access to a website or you put anything online you are technically now a tech company yeah, yeah. like and it is crazy and if people that go like oh i don't want to like tech it's not the future it's the fucking now like as in yeah. um, <laughs> like and you know this, this is the thing once restrictions start easing once recruitment starts kind of getting back to normal the yeah. first thing people, the first people they're going to want to talk to is tech talent. So people yeah. that can sell, people that can get them online, people that can market the product and service. But like, mm -hmm. it, it, it is this is the time to be in this space. Like, yeah. unfortunately, like people don't like to think like that because they want to hang on to what was normal. What right? they know. Um, yeah. What makes you good at your current job? Do you think? Like, what you know? What makes you? Um, or what? Yeah. What keeps you coming back too? You know. Hmm. Um, you know, look, from what I understand as an outcomes producer, you're, t you, you, you know, you're at that back end of the pathway from the cost into industry or into a placement. So I assume that, you know, you're, you're very easy to talk to. You, you build relationships very easily, you know, like, is that where you hone in on your, on that networking and that, that skill around, you know, creating relationships and then helping other people, you know, bridge those gaps. Like you said at the top of this podcast is, you know, learn it, that advice being the conduit between people is where the business is, you know? And so that's almost, that's kind of what you're doing right now. Yeah. I, I always talk to the guys and, like at work, I'm like, I am so goddamn lucky to do, like I get paid to network. So I think what, 
what what makes me good at my job and what makes me keep coming back in the morning is the fact that like yeah I do love I love relationships I love talking to people I love getting to getting under the hood of why they exist and where they want to go mm. um and, and 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 yeah like I think yeah my whole life my whole mantra is like the art of business is can, the ability to put people together so if I can do that then I'm happy and I would I do that naturally anyway without getting paid so yeah. now that I get paid to do that, I'm like, oh my God, I've found my sweet spot. Yeah. You know, there's sort of that desire for me to kind of go, well, maybe I want to start another company. Why do I want to start another business? But then I'm like, I haven't found that problem yet. That yeah. I need to find. And I like the angle that you're coming at it from because, you know, you could liken it to recruitment, but it's almost, but that's almost like too simplistic, you know, because where you're coming from is you're seeing, you're creating a relationship, and this is my interpretation, with the students that are going through the courses. So you're starting to understand what they're good at, what their skill sets are, and then you're able to kind of really work with them on finding them a, a good a, a specific outcome um so you're all, so you're creating relationships on both sides which sounds interesting mm, yeah you literally just you literally just summed up my life <laughs> that's good that's my I'm glad, I was, I'm glad is, I was listening I, I feel like this is my life with um what's that guy's name again um <laughs> this is your life yeah this is your life what's that show you go, oh what's his name anyway but yeah this is this is your life with Michael Jackson <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good man i i um i'm really interested to hear about that stuff because i think it's um you know i i did a bit of a stint in the education space albeit a you know off the back of that you know government funding that you know was happening ah, a few years ago yeah, yeah. And, you know i was working around people doing you know additional courses diplomas and what whatever um it was a bit of a it was a very random year for me, but it was just a, like an opportunity because I'd left one thing and I was starting, you know, waiting to start yeah. another, but I ended up there for over 12 months. But yeah. yeah, it's a fascinating space, you know, and I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's cool being around people who are learning and at this, at those stages of their, those transitions in their career, whether it's a fork in the road or, you know, or they're just making a shift and they know where they're trying to get to. It's, um, it's yeah, it's really, space. you're right, right. It is interesting. Like, day to day in my day it's not the same or like because what happens is that we're dealing with different people every day and as humans we're all so diverse and just like i every day when i go to work i'm like oh yeah I've, i can you're like this other person no nah, everyone is so different like yeah. there's no cutter like as in oh this is the pathway for you because everyone has completely different things that they bring to the table and mm. yeah it, it is a labor intensive job but mm. it's you know you've got to love people or you're not going to be good at it you just yeah. become jaded yeah and then you become like this person is annoying you know which how, they are yeah everyone <laughs> is everyone is yeah. in their own way how do you do you, are you actively when you're looking certain to network to find you know the outcome side of your role um how active are you do you have any specific things that you need to do around you know adding to the people within your network the businesses within your network are you literally going to find business owners or you know heads of departments that you can kind of start to place people or introduce people to yeah like as an i think you know this is where like you and i are quite similar in the sense of like you have to be a naturally curious person and mm. be okay with like as in you know and i think that you know so there is no strategy that I go, okay, cool. I'm going to have a list of people I'm going to reach out to, but it's literally, I'm curious about this person and what they do. And then mm -hmm. I strike up a conversation back, back in pre COVID days. It was like, Hey, let's go for a coffee. Like, what do you do with your life? And then I'm like, Oh, cool. And then kind of essentially collect people. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then these cogs are ticking my head going, Oh, you know what? I need to connect you to this person. So yeah, yeah. unfortunately I don't have a strategy and sometimes I do run. Yeah, it's just like very a, organic, you know, it's an organic yeah. process for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to give you like, I think you have to be a, a genuine, you have to genuinely be curious about what they do and that's where the relationship starts forming or else you seem like a transactional guy yeah. and Every, you can see, you can just see that a mile away yeah. when someone's transactional. Totally. There's no authenticity yeah. there. There's no, yeah, no authenticity. 
Yeah, Dan, thanks, mate. This has been great. I've loved uh, loved a little catch up and learning about what uh, you're doing. Michael, I'm so like as an honour that you asked me to do this, and yeah, like as in, um, uh, I'm I'm probably not the most conventional guest that you have. No, I love it. I love your eclectic part, your eclectic <laughs> career. I mean, what one thing that's so obvious is. You know, you haven't stood still. Well, when you've stood still, it's because you've burnt the shit out. You know, you've burnt out. <laughs> but um, you know, you, you keep moving. That's that's admirable. I think that's that's a that's a good thing to have. Good trait. Yeah, this have. is one. Yeah, it's like it's an. I w- I've got this theory that I wish that, like, you know, the moment before you die, you get this invoice from God, and God goes, <laughs> "This is everything that you have done in your life. Summarize. Here's the pie chart." Here's the, you know, everything. And so you get this summary before you kind of like, you know, you know conquer. And like, as in, uh, that's my thing. It's like, as in, what's going to be on your goddamn invoice at the end? Yeah, you know, yeah, that is yeah. my thing. You want a big list. Mate, who's the painter? Who's, who's the, you've got a few paintings behind you. Who's the painter? So this has been happened. I am. Um, and due to COVID, it's gone out of control. Like, it was like, uh, uh, there was a right. moment. There was a week that I was like clocking approximately like 28 Zoom calls and that was like, it was like, oh, I was going a bit crazy. And then I yeah. found these paint from the Brighton Bay days and I was like, oh, I'm going to pick up. And now I've got this art career now where I sold a painting the other day to a collector. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and like, yeah, and I know you're a fan of Howard Arkley. Yeah. Because oh, I, yeah. Um, my dad picked up Howard Arkley years ago in the taxi and um, he was telling, Howard was like telling, you know, he said, tell me your story. So my dad told him a story, you know, refugee came here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I uh, commissioned, and then he goes, Howard goes, hey, have you got, um, have you, um, you know, tell us about your kids. And then um, long story short, Howard um, draws two things. I'll send you the picture after this podcast. Yeah. Two things, one for my brother, one for me. And he said, you know, like he, he, he essentially we got two pieces of like artwork from Howard. I yeah. got a baby like eight grand. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking? Like you just drew it on the back of an envelope or something? On like a piece of paper, and I got it framed. Mm. And I'll send you the thing, but it was like Love this incredible it. thing. Yeah, and I think yeah, it was it was this crazy like as in it's all kind of like now I've got this art career, so I can add that to my my list of random things. Seriously, I love it. Thanks, mate. Good to Thanks, chat. Michael. See you, bye. Bye.